So Jessica and I constantly record our little grandson Malachi when he's laughing. And this little moment of the roar of talking and visiting is worth recording and capturing, seriously. I've heard often that the sign of, uh, a sign of church health is how long people chit-chat and visit and how long people hang out after services. So I think, I think you're winning. So um, I am so glad that you're here today. Welcome to Hope City Church. Those of you that are online, I'm glad you're here. Those of you that are outside and then all of you Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is our first New Year season together as a new merged congregation, and I have been so excited to get to this point with all of you. Um, do you know that we are almost one year to the day since we had our very first church merger conversation? Uh, it was on January 12th, 2022, so we're all a year older, and, and uh, uh, some of us may be a few years older in that one year through this process, but this Thursday will be one year to the day that we sat in little uh, chairs in a circle inside the ring of palm trees where we have our big tent that we used, and we had leaders from Grace Church and Laverne and leaders from Baseline and Claremont, and we had our very first would you go on a date with me conversation? <laughs> and we started the process of merging our two congregations. And the reason I remember the date is because I, I, I woke up super early the morning of that conversation, and, and I, I made a journal entry. This is what I wrote in my journal on that day. Awoke at 3.30 a.m. Yuck. <laughs> a passage came to me as if it was waiting for me to frame up our baseline merger talks. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, two groups, both powerful but hurting and in need, came together to serve David and advance his cause. And that's why we have done this church merger. We did not do a church merger, and today isn't a church merger talk. So if you're visiting, um, I have some thoughts from Scripture that I think will, will, will help all of us and strengthen all of us. But we did not merge these churches so that Grace would have a permanent home or so that Baseline would maximize the property. We merged this church in order to serve the Son of David. Jesus was called the Son of David 16 times in the Gospels. We came together to serve the son of David and to advance his cause of reaching daughters and sons and families with his life, his power, and his love. And we were convinced that we would be better together and that as a result of coming together that the world around us would be better. And so with this being the, the very first New Year service together or for, that I get to share in, um, th this Thursday, by the way, is the one-year anniversary of when this whole process started. But with this being our first New Year together, I want to start a short teaching series that I think will help us be better as individuals, as individual families, and as a church family. And I believe with all of my heart that as we get better on all of those levels, there will be a ripple effect that goes out from our lives, out from our families, out from this church that makes the world around us better. So I want to talk to you for the next few weeks from a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
So you can start finding your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in the New Testament. And I want to talk to you about my three best friends. Let's start here with a quick video clip. Let me, let me do a little spoiler and give you the final scene of the Fellowship of the Ring from the Lord of the Rings. Look up at the screens if you would. Can you imagine how it would have changed Mary and Pippin's perspective if they knew when they had been carried off by the Urukai, if they had known that Aragorn had just made that speech and that they were coming after them? Have you ever had a best friend? No? <laughs> you lonely people. A best friend is amazing. A best friend is one of the greatest gifts that we could ever receive in life. Um, have you ever had a trio of friends or a posse of friends like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli? Um, King David did. In fact, in that passage that I woke up to the morning of our first church merger conversation, there's a section in that passage that, that highlights some of David's friends. In 1 Chronicles 12, David is, or Chronicles 11, David is hiding in the cave of Adullam, and, and it says this in verse 15, it says three, we're going to be talking about my three best friends. Three of the 30 chiefs came down to David to the rock at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And remember, Bethlehem was David's hometown. You remember that angel we talked about from the Christmas story? The angel called Bethlehem the town or the city of David. And so David's hometown was occupied. It was overrun by Philistines. Has yours ever been occupied or overrun? And so verse 17 says that David longed for water 
and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three, three of his closest allies, broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Wow. How would you like to have those three guys as your best friends? Hey, did you hear that? David's thirsty. But he's not thirsty for just a sip of water. We have water. He's he's craving water from the well of Bethlehem. He's homesick. You guys want to go? I'll risk my life to bring back a sip of water for David from home. And they did. A best friend can save your life on multiple levels. And I've been so fortunate in my life. I've had really amazing friends at almost every level of my life. Um, When I was a little kid, my two best friends were Eric Vandeveer and Scott Wilson. I have a little picture of our gang to show you. We we, we lived on multiple acres of uh, forest property surrounded by hundreds of acres of national forests. We, We lived by a river, and every spare minute of every single day was spent reenacting the Lord of the Rings and the Knights of the Round Table, Indiana Jones, John Carter of Mars, and um, the little girl on the right with the blonde hair, that's my little sister, Amber, and then I'm two over from her in the glasses. My brother is second from the right, and Eric and Scott are in the, pic- uh, the picture, but pretty fierce little tribe. But they, they were incredible friends. Um, in high school, my three best friends were Josh, Jason, and Ashley. Ashley was a guy, and Ashley and I went to Europe together, and so all of our reservations were for Ashley and Kristen. And so everybody thought it was these two young girls traveling together, but it was us. Um, I had some really great friends in Bible college. And after Bible college, um, I worked for three years in the mortgage industry before I became a pastor. And my very best friend was a guy named Todd Stone. And I'd love to just tell you how I met him and about our friendship, because it's, it's really special. Um, Our church, this was in Spokane, Washington, was doing a series of revival services. So it was like 21 or 30 days straight of of worship and preaching and teaching. And we set up a giant tent on the back of our property, just like our Easter tent. And we left our sound equipment set up. And so pairs of men from the church took three-hour shifts all night long guarding the equipment. And I was stuck with the 3 a.m. to the 6 a.m. shift, which I hated, But every single morning at 6 a.m., my relief, Todd Stone, who was a young guy my same age, came in to relieve me. And I didn't know Todd very well, but he walked in every day with a big book under his arm. And every single morning, he would walk in with a book, and sometimes it was a different book. And so I said, hey, what what are you reading? And he explained to me that he was reading biographies of great leaders in world history because he wanted to strengthen his own leadership in his own personal life. And I was intrigued by this guy. The the conversation turned into a friendship, and he eventually hired me and trained me in the lending industry. It it was during those years, and we became incredible friends, but it was during those years when Alexis died, um, our first daughter. And a few months after she had died, we had a really great week in the business. We had such a great week, we decided to knock off early on Friday and go see a movie. Well, the movie that was being shown in the theater was Gladiator. Any of you see Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Great movie. I loved it. But if you recall, 
his character loses his family very early on in the movie. And then multiple times during the, the, the film, he has a vision or a dream of he's walking through a field with these golden wheat fields and he's reunited with his family and it's a dream of heaven. Well, I loved the movie, but it wiped me out. And so after the, the film, we got back to the car. I sat in the back, Todd was in the front, and I just lost it. I started, I started crying. And he moved around from the front seat to the back seat And he put his arms around me and just held me, and I cried in his arms until I could hardly breathe. And we had a a temp worker with us. (laughs) This guy had only been with us for like two days, and he was in the front, and he he literally did not come back to our office (laughs) after that morning. But, But Todd was an incredible friend. When I was a pastor in Colorado Springs, my three best friends were another Todd, Brent, and Jade. And I think those guys would have gone to Bethlehem for me. Um, Currently, I have a group of friends that I refer to as my band of brothers. In our men's group here at Hope, we say that every man needs a band of brothers. And ladies, you need a band of sisters. We we need friends to live life with. Um, Isaiah Granados is part of that group. Tim Reed is part of that group and a couple other men. But we meet monthly and we sit around a little fire and we, we talk and we laugh and we connect and sometimes we pray and we might break out cigars, but I can't confirm that that happens, <laughs> but it probably happens. Um, but, but it's awesome. It, it's, it's special. My daughters, Amber and Madeline, and I have a picture of them from just a couple weeks ago with Jesse, they've become our friends. It's so amazing when our little children grow up and become our friends. Uh, my best friend, above anyone else on all levels, is Jessica. And here's a picture of us. When we first moved to California 15 years ago to be pastors at Grace, we were so young. But, but I've had three other really important friends in my life, and I'd like to introduce them to you because they need to be your friends too. In fact, they will help you live the life that you were created to live, and they will help our church become everything that it was designed to be. So are you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? You're still there? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and and those aren't the three friends, (laughs) we need to keep reading, Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope In our Lord Jesus Christ, my three best friends, and here at Hope, our three best friends are faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope are are the pillars of the mission statement that we are rallying around um, here as a church. Um, Baseline, before our church merger, had a really great mission statement that they followed. And Grace had a great mission statement, and we wordsmithed it and tweaked it over the years. A mission statement is a statement of what you are here to do. 
So a mission statement, whether you're talking about a business or a person or a church, it's, it's what is your assignment based on the unique shape of your giftedness and your unique purpose. And so there, it's always a to something, a to serve, to give, to create, to go, to be. The mission statement that we have landed on through our leadership talks and our feasibility and looking at the strengths of our churches and all of that is this. We are here to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. That is our mission, to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. And I believe that if you and I lived that statement, if that became our personal and our collective ethos, our church would flourish, we would find ourselves on the path toward the greatest levels of human flourishing and fulfillment, and people around us would be blessed. If we lived by faith, if we were known by love, and if our lives spoke hope, we would honor God. We would become the best versions of us, and we would positively influence our world. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to tear apart these words, faith, love, and hope. And we're going to talk very, very deeply and intensely about what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to be known by love? And what does it mean to be a voice of hope? So we'll tear this apart over the next few weeks. Today, I just want to give you a few reasons. I want to give you three reasons why faith, love, and hope are so important. These are absolute non-negotiables. If if this isn't the lifeblood and the oxygen of a church, we should just shut our doors. These things are absolutely essential for us, for hope, and for human flourishing. And the reason that faith, love, and hope, our three best friends, are so important, number one is this. They're so important because too many people today are experiencing a shortage of faith, love, and hope. A major theme in economics is supply and demand. When a product becomes scarce, it becomes far more valuable. Did any of you have any trouble finding toilet paper at the beginning of the COVID shutdown? (laughs) Kind of amazing how valuable toilet paper becomes if if you don't have a lot of it. People today seem to be living with less and less faith, love, and hope in our world. I want to read you some words that were written in the 1600s that I think kind of describe how a lot of people are living their lives. You you might recognize these words. See if you recognize these from literature class. All our yesterdays have lighted for fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Any of you recognize those words from Shakespeare's Macbeth? In the the tragedy Macbeth, Macbeth has just received news that his wife has died, enemy troops are approaching, he's killed the king so he himself could become king, and he, he says these words that millions of people in world history and today on our planet would echo. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player. It struts and frets its hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. People are experiencing a hope 
famine. They're experiencing a faith drought. You know, instead of faith, our world today is marked by cynicism and skepticism and mockery. Despite how much we talk about love, I think we're probably talking about love as much as we ever had in our history. Despite how much we talk about love, our gigantic divisions on every level show that we're not walking in love. And it is undeniably true that far too many people are living lives with less hope than they've had before. And when people live too long without faith or love or hope, life becomes idiotic. It's sound and stress and fury, and it's a tale told by an idiot. It's meaningless. I think our world needs temples today. I think our world needs some sacred places today where things like faith and love and hope still flourish so people can step into that sacred place and experience something that's vastly different than what they can experience anywhere else. In fact, real quickly, if you turn with me to Ephesians 3, verse 7, I want us to read a shocking passage that says something about the purpose of the church. I don't know where everyone is today. You might not identify with the church. Maybe you're in a church service, but you're not sure about the church. You're checking church out. Maybe you're processing faith or you've struggled with church. But this is what the New Testament says about church. This is a shocking statement to me in Ephesians 3, verse 7. Paul is speaking, and he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now, let's laser in on verse 10 right here. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Your presence as part of God's church, your faithful, loving, hope-filled presence is a proclamation to the the reigning uh, authorities and powers and spirits of this age that there is a different reality than what most people experience. Whether you recognize this or not, your presence, oh, please hear me, your presence pushes back against the global tide of discouragement, loneliness, depression, and despair. Whether you recognize it or not, when you wake up in the morning, according to Ephesians 3.10, as part of the church, when you wake up in the morning, you send shockwaves into the supernatural realm above the cities that are around us. When you walk into your work or your home or a gathering, or your neighborhood, you are a billboard testifying to a greater reality and a greater purpose that God is inviting humanity to step into. When I used to teach at APU, I would always have the ministry students think about the language that gets used in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Let me read you Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Um, 
Solomon, who probably wrote Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Did you know that Solomon says that 35 times in just 12 short chapters? Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he leveraged his wisdom to analyzing all of the facets of human experience, and his conclusion sounds a lot like Macbeth. Vapor, vanity, meaningless. Now, just because Solomon was super wise doesn't mean he was right. Solomon was looking in the wrong place. Drop down to verse 12 if you have your Bible or it will be on the screen. He says, I, the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon uses that phrase, under the sun, 30 times in his book. And so it's super fascinating to realize that when he limits his search for meaning to what happens under the sun, his only conclusion is idiotic. Sound and fury, strutting, boasting, uh, meaning nothing. And, 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 and when a person limits their, their scope of understanding to what happens around them, sometimes that is our only possible conclusion. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever looked around you and, and you just can't make sense of it? And I'm trying my best and I'm working hard and I'm doing this. And so why is this happening? I'm praying, praying, praying. I don't see it. And you end up concluding the same as Solomon. In fact, it's not until the very final chapter, chapter 12, when Solomon finally says, oh, now I get it. Fear God. Honor his commands. In other words, fix your gaze on what happens above the sun. Because when you see from a different perspective, all of a sudden this meaninglessness starts to come together and a purpose starts to be seen. And listen, that's what you represent. Ephesians 3.10 is telling us that the church is a bridge that stands in between the spirits in the atmosphere and the reality of life down here and connects the two. Uh, when faith, love, and hope are our three best friends, we let the world know that there actually isn't a shortage of faith, love, and hope in the world. There's actually an endless supply of the things that the human soul is craving. Um, when we live these things, we become a bridge between sorrow and restoration between depression and boldness, between the mundane and the mystical and the temporal and the eternal. See, if a church lives this way, if a church were to get a vision that I represent an entry point to a different kind of life, a church becomes a warm fire on a cold day or an ice-cold stream in a blistering desert and so the three reasons why faith, love, and hope must be our best friends are very simple. Number one, too many people are experiencing a shortage of faith, love, and hope. But number two, the shortage isn't real. There is hope. 
There is an answer to the things that people are longing for. It's not a gigantic mystery. It's not hidden. Theologians describe God as hiding in plain sight. He's not walking up to people and shaking them and saying, believe in me, because he, he honors freedom. He honors choice. He's allowing people to fall in love without coercion. But when you have eyes to see, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. It's so fascinating that two people can look at the same life. And I don't see God anywhere or everywhere I turn. He's been at work. And it's not a mind game. It's not a mental gymnastics. It's, it's, it's a perspective. The shortage is not real. There is a faith that can anchor our world today. And then number three, we have the power to push back. Part of the church's role, we, are, we don't just re retract from the world and huddle up and talk about heaven and then go back and be normal people. That is not the purpose of the church. We, we assemble to worship, sending a corporate message that we've been sending individually all week And then we leave our gatherings realizing I have been commissioned to push back against division, against lovelessness, against despair. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, I've been meditating on this verse a lot recently. Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he urges his followers to pray on a daily basis, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of the kingdom of God is that with the flick of a finger, God can dislodge demonic powers. Every day when you pray, kingdom come, you're saying, God, let your kingdom crash into the opposition that are keeping my loved ones, me, my world locked in hopelessness, despair, and discouragement. Let your kingdom crash into every other kingdom and dispel and displace and drive out demonic spirits. And I tell you what, I want to be in that kind of a church. Jesus walked into a room and people's issues started leaving. People came into Jesus' presence and their life came back into alignment. I say this often. He was like a living, breathing chiropractic adjustment. You get close enough to Jesus and your life snaps back into place. That actually kind of tweaked my back a little bit. I just read a story, fascinating story, about a Catholic exorcist. So this is a Catholic priest whose job was to pray with people who were being oppressed or, or harassed by supernatural or demonic powers. And I know we've heard lots of horrendous stories of abuses in the Catholic Church. And those kinds of abuses, whether they're in the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church or secular organizations, are, are appalling evidences of evil and the demonic in our world. But this particular priest lived in so much holiness so much purity, so much communion with God that there's a story. This particular priest walked into the sanctuary to conduct mass. And before he even said a word, a person in the audience started shrieking. I guess you don't say audience. It's congregation. It's not a show. But a person in the congregation started shrieking. And this demonic presence that had harassed and afflicted them for years left. 
And they experienced a level of freedom and and clear thinking that they had never experienced in their life before. The priest hadn't prayed for them, hadn't said a word, hadn't started preaching. It's just that so much of heaven walked into the room with that person that hell couldn't stay in the room. And that happened everywhere Jesus went. And I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus, but he did call us the body of Christ. And we are his representatives and we are his followers. So I don't want to be in a church that's all fixated on demonic stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I want to be in a church where a lonely person enters, but they leave loved. A discouraged person enters, but they leave empowered. A bored person enters, but they leave with a purpose and excited. A hopeless person enters, but they leave thinking, wait a minute. Maybe it's not all as idiotic as I thought it was. I want to be in a place where drowning people find an ark and where lost people come home. And I think that if those three things are our best friends, if faith, love, and hope become the collective ethos, I think we will be that church. So listen, since we joined our churches um, on September 11th, so we've only been joined not even quite four months yet. But since we merged on September 11th, we have given several thousand dollars to foster students in our school districts. We have sponsored children from Uganda through Aswan Ministries. We have packaged, boxed up, and sent more than 5,000 Christmas gifts with gospel messages attached to children around the world. We have sent coats and shoes to Casa Esperanza in Ensenada. We have done small groups, dinners for eight. We've had about 15 men's and women's gatherings. Our students have been meeting weekly. Our students are heading off to winter camp in a couple of weeks, and we have barely even gotten started. We are going to maximize the ministries in this church. We're going to build out this property to its full potential. This this little remodeling in here is just for this moment Um, This isn't our landing spot. We're going to build this property into its fullest potential. We're going to return to God what he's given us, spiffed up, polished up, as well cared for as it could possibly be. And God is going to say to this church, well done, good and faithful people. We're going to be better. Our families are going to be better. And our church is going to be better. And I honestly and truly believe that the world around us will be better. So let's help each other embody faith, love, and hope. If you're ever talking to somebody here and you get the sense that their faith is ebbing, I want you to tackle them. And I want you to do a spiritual mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I want you to pray over them. If you get any sense that someone is is weakening in their hope, listen, um, one of the primary purposes of prayer is the sharing of burdens. If, if, I, if you're discouraged and I pray for you today, I don't know if my prayer will change your story. I don't know if it will change your circumstance. It might. Sometimes God uses prayer that way, but I promise you my prayer will encourage you. Prayer has the power of filling up hope and love. If you get the sense that someone's isolated, let's, let's, let's take the initiative and let's, let's embody this. Let's make those things our best friends. Let's let it be said a few years from now, when somebody thinks of Hope City Church, man, faith radiates in that place. Everyone is so loving. 
And I just feel hopeful when I'm there. If we did that to our world, we would be, we would be helping advance God's kingdom in our generation. So if I was Donald Rucker, <laughs> did you guys like him last Sunday? Yeah, Donald's awesome. Why don't you stand up with me as the worship team rejoins me? They, they, they have the perfect song set for today. I have a really fun relationship with Amanda. I had her at APU, and, and she's become just a dear friend and like a... I, I, probably all of us older people want her to be our daughter, but I, I feel that just that special connection with her. And it's so funny, week after week after week, she's choosing songs that perfectly line up with my talk. And sometimes she knows where I'm going in the sermon, but often she doesn't. But we're going to end here singing, I Speak Jesus, which is the perfect song about the finger of God driving out discouragement, despair, hopelessness. But, but what are the takeaways from a message like this? So it's, it's more than a rah-rah, we're going to be full of faith, love, and hope. What do we do? Can I just suggest a couple takeaways? First of all, can, can we all commit to being really great friends? Yes. Will you commit to going to Bethlehem for your best friends? Everybody needs a friend that's willing to break through the ranks of the Philistines and come back with water that David didn't even need. In fact, do you remember what David did with that water? You Bible scholars will remember that he didn't drink it. He said, I'm not going to drink the life of these people. They risked their life. And so do you know what he did? He poured it out. Not, not as disrespect as worship. He turned that act of friendship into an act of worship to God. He poured it out. Let's be such good friends that our friendship is actually worship. And then let's just, let's just try to embody faith, love, and hope. Let's make that a choice. And then please, don't give up. We don't have a whole lot of people in our church. We're not a very, very large church, but we're big enough to have somebody today who's struggling in their faith. We're big enough to have somebody who's got a big giant question mark over all of this Christianity stuff. Listen, don't give up. Things will become clear. Your life will make more sense. You matter more than you realize. It matters that you got out of bed today. It's gonna matter that you walk into your classroom tomorrow going to matter that you walk onto the floor of the hospital tomorrow. You matter. You're bringing a proclamation with you. It's not tied to how great you are. It's tied to Jesus. See, faith, love, and hope are not concepts. They're a person. They're Jesus, the embodiment of the Trinity, the embodiment of God's love given for you. So can we just sing the song, I Speak Jesus, and let's just respond and start the process of saying, would you reinflate my soul and make me a carrier of these friends into the world around me.